Thanks for joining us for the Changing the Industry podcast, where we try to effectuate change for the better, one conversation at a time. Part of that change is providing help for those that need it. This is why we've partnered with the Institute for Automotive Business Excellence. Whether it's help with sales, operations, or just getting your numbers in order, these folks are some of the very best in the industry. And for our listeners, they'll sit down with you and go over your strengths, your weaknesses, and the opportunities that are in front of you. They'll create a customized plan for how to move forward absolutely free. That's right, free. And if your plan includes one-on-one coaching, they can also help you with that. There's no hard sales pitch, no obligation, just honest help from honest people. So if that's something that you think could benefit you, make sure you click on the link in the show notes. And now, on to the show. I remember how it used to be. The phone's ringing off the hook. Clients are coming in the front door like crazy. And here comes little technician Timmy. Timmy comes up and he says, hey boss, where's my part? Where you want me to go next? What you want me to do? Gosh, Timmy, if I knew, I'd tell you, buddy, but I am covered up. All of that stopped when I found Shopware. With Shopware, you get an industry-leading expediter right there in the software. It tells you if your parts are here, where your technician should go next, and how much time they have left to complete the jobs in the day. Go to GetShopware.com to learn more. GetShopware.com. Hey everybody, David here, and welcome to the ASOG Podcast. One of our most popular episodes is number 47 with Lester Kovacs of Dorman Products. He sat down with Lucas and I to discuss Dorman's perceived quality concerns among technicians and shop owners. To Lester's credit, he directly answered every question we had for him. Well, while at iScan Technical Training Conference, we had a chance to sit down with him again and ask him about the aftermath of our recording, how they're dealing with supply chain issues, and how he feels about dealerships sending out dormant parts in place of OE to repair shops. Before we get started, don't forget to set this podcast to automatically download the latest episode, leave us a review on your favorite podcast player, and keep an eye out for new content on our YouTube channel. And now, here we go. I think uh, I think David and I both had a very very different uh, respect and approach for you guys after that episode, and and you know a getting to meet you and see what you guys do, but b you know like I've seen more and more. I called you the other day over that control arm, and like what I thought was really interesting was is that the 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 part store was throwing you guys under the bus, and they're like, hey, this is this is them, this is them, this is them. Turns out it wasn't you. It, it, it was all 100% them. And it was, and like we had a suspicion. That's the only reason I reached out is because like I'm over here, they're saying this. Like if it was once, I might, but, but you know, it was part after part after part with all these different things. Nah, man, they weren't ordering the parts or they, they were, they were doing something crazy. So I think that, you know, and, and it kind of comes back to that. You know, we know what that's like because dealers throw us under the bus a lot. Or a shop down the road throws us under the bus. It just seems like it's a dog-eat-dog world anymore, you know? Well, I, I really want, one of the reasons I wanted to get you on here is that I, I've noticed a far fewer 
uh, dunking on Dorman sessions than in the yeah. past. <laughs> yeah, it, it is substantially reduced, especially in our in in ASOG. You don't see it. Anymore. Yeah, well, I've seen it in the technician groups too. For example, you know, you we we saw you at at SEMA and at uh, Apex, and we talked about the the oil cooler for the three point six, and they ran out with Chrysler stopped making them or whatever. They couldn't get any. Everybody started jumping. Hey, I used the dorming unit. It worked really well. Yeah. Everybody's just going. Yeah. And before, yeah. like, you would be attacked if you did that. Like, Oh, yeah. Would, you would have would... just been, like, grilled. Yeah. I'm, I'm definitely seeing that trend increase on one side. But I also, for me, I guess, overly critical and always focused on how do we keep getting better? Because there's obviously people out there that are still of the other mindset. And yeah. And I, I even I saw a post last week, and essentially the sentiment that everybody got on was that we, and they also said other manufacturers just bait, let the technicians beta test our parts. And to me, you know, I as you know, being the manufacturer, I have to always take the high road. Um, but it's like in it, it just it just upsets me that I that obviously our quality was that was was in some way, shape, or form that bad to that particular individual. That they really think that a manufacturer um, would send a part out there with little or no testing. That we want right. the technician to be the actual beta tester. So, I I, I I do like it when I see the you know all the positive come outs, uh, all the positive comments. But I'm still really focused on not not changing the mind of, of the uh, detractors because their mind could have been right at that point in time. But get them to understand right. what we really put in the quality control, and that when we do hear about it. That we want to correct it, um, the, the, and um, and the other thing that I just thought about really quick, and then the other perception that you know one of the challenges of we just leave bad parts out in the field. You don't do anything about it. So I so really quick, we're we can't reach out directly unless it's a safety recall, which doesn't happen that often, to the end user and say, hey, re- re- return part number one, two, three, four, because it's a safety defect, right? right? Yeah. Steering and. and when it has happened in the past, we had a couple on steering shifts. That's what ha- it actually goes through NHTSA, um, even with an aftermarket part. Right. And um, so when there's other issues with parts where you can still install it, but there's something off with it, and it's only a small percentage of the parts, and it's not safety critical, we do what's called a return for inspection. And we have some customers that have 8,000 store chains, and, and we can't manage the message of how our customers tell the satellite stores. Right, right. So we have people out there that have a lot of influence. I've tried to explain that to but basically just said, you leave your garbage parts out there and don't do anything about it. Yeah. And, and it's almost like last time when we talked about the phenomena of, you know, um, I forget what you call them, David, uh, sh- shit posters, right? Yeah, right. There, there's a lot of people out there that I feel like just post things to, po- to, to post them, but don't realize, you know, that the, the phenomena we talked about last time is that, the message doesn't get back to the manufacturer right, right. To, to actually do anything about it. It was, it, it was the same thing in this case, the perception that we, A, beta test our parts um, or, or let technicians beta test our parts, and then, B, don't care about bringing them back. Right. I mean, we have a whole team that reviews that, looks at, looks at quality indicators, and again, let's say if there's a hole that has to be drilled uh, 20% of the time, we're going to send a communication out asking our customers to pull the part off the shelf. Usually we can look at date codes and things like that. So um, I, I really appreciate the fact that you recognize that we're seeing some more positive comments, but I think, you know, me being 
um, you know, a, a lifer at Dorman Prox, been here for 18 years. I, I want to keep continuing and focusing to make sure that they know that we do care and we're going to make mistakes and um, to be kind of uh, part of that solution. Lucas and I have been telling you about Parts Tech for a while now and how it gives you access to unlimited parts and tire vendors and direct integration with over 35 shop management systems. And now they've just launched a new referral program. All you have to do is open your Parts Tech account, go to My Shop, and click on the Rewards tab. There you'll find your referral URL, which you can share via email, text message, or on your social media. If your referral signs up for a new account and places five orders in the first 30 days, Parts Tech will send you a $100 gift card. That's it. Nothing else is needed. Your referrals can get you $100 just for using Parts Tech, which, by the way, is absolutely free to get started with. So if you're using Parts Tech already, start sharing that referral link. And if you haven't signed up for Parts Tech yet, what are you waiting for? Click on the link in the description or go to partstech.com forward slash podcast. That's partstech.com forward slash podcast. Hey, one more thing. If you find out that your shop management system doesn't integrate with Parts Tech, it's time to upgrade. David and I use what we believe to be the very best system on the market, shopware. With unmatched features like Parts GP Optimizer and DVX, which is their digital vehicle experience, Shopware really is way more than just a shop management software. With it, you'll be able to create an immersive and interactive experience for your client, setting you apart from everyone else using run-of-the-mill software. Are you ready to upgrade? Click the link in the show notes to get started. See how we can fix it. It comes down to like a messaging issue, though, because a lot of manufacturers don't put any time or effort into making sure they're on the forums, that they're talking to the end user. I don't know anybody that... who, who. off the top of your head, who do you who can you think of? Autel, yeah. like George Lesniak, he'll get on there and he will will straight up argue with somebody about the right, right. machine. And, and there's a there's a couple there there's that I know of. There's no part manufacturer, right? And and I think the big thing was you were willing, no. I think Dorman said I don't yeah. I don't know of any. I cannot I, think of one. I think the fact you were willing to come on and answer the questions and and be real about it. Like no BS. Hey, here's here's what's going on, and I think it it creates a human image to Dorman. It creates a human image to to the organization as a whole. Like hey, you put a, put a name and face to it. Right, it's no longer the big nameless, faceless corporation. Yeah, and I I think that that happens a lot, right? I, and it doesn't just happen in the automotive world. It happens all over the place. But I think we see a lot of folks who look at this and they feel like it's the part company, it's the tool company, it's this, that, or the other. No, I mean, we're, we really all are trying to do the best. I mean, why wouldn't Dorman want to do the best they could do? It's not about putting out a poor quality product and getting the most money you can get because you eventually run yourself out of business if you do that, right? You wouldn't be able to, to make that sustainable. Yeah. I mean, the, the main my main responsibility, it's morphed into kind of jack of all trades, master of none, is to bring new ideas and relationships into the organization to help grow that. And early on, um, you know, year two, year three, even even then, you're talking to there probably year four, 2007. Um, you know, I, I found myself getting involved in a lot of technical training for awareness or on, at the part level, not at the install right. level, but then also quality control. And you know, um, leaders of, I, I I had throughout the years didn't have a big problem with that, other than hey, you know, you're, if you're working on new ideas, how does the quality control piece fit? And I said it's simple. If the technicians aren't confident that we're going to take care of them when something happens they're not going to keep right. giving us new ideas so right. 
it's uh, it's one of those things where it really works hand in hand. And then 2019, early, late 18, was our first foray into actual training, partnering with TST and, and Jerry Trulia, um, and actually opened us up to the Facebook forums and a whole nother group of, of technicians right. at the next level. Um you know, honestly, at first I was I was pretty shocked because I didn't have access to the information that, you know, you hear the names like, uh, you know, obviously G, Bernie Thompson, Brandon Steckler, all those guys right. and gals that have been around forever that really have a great reputation of what they really thought of our product. So it, it actually encouraged our team to kind of step up our game, to engage them, be on social media. And like you said, we're it doesn't it doesn't help us to not address the issues because we're, you know, we're in it for the long haul. So. Right. Right. So when, when we talk about part issues and we talk about everything that's going on right now, what, what's the message that you would want everybody to know? I mean, what's the insider Intel, you know, right now we can't get parts hardly anywhere, right? Yeah, well, what are you guys doing with that? Yeah. I mean, it's, it, it's definitely getting better. I mean, we're, we're basically, I mean, one of the things, you know, it, it's no secret you're, you're looking at um, sourcing in different areas. We, we've always been uh, very diverse with sourcing. It was never just always China. We've always, even before COVID, U.S., India, Turkey, all, all di- Vietnam, Taiwan, or, or di- different areas. Um, and I, I, I think the difference now is that we're finally getting, we're, we have all the supply chain issues from basically being closed for a, a year and a half. Right. Um, I feel like we're, we finally see the light at, at the end of the tunnel there and we're getting better. But I still think it's going to be another year or eighteen months of kind of having these fill rates that are that are um, substandard, just just based on everything else that's going on. Right. Well, I mean, and you guys are you guys are weathering the storm a lot better than others. I, I've been talking to friends at dealers who are saying like we're we're primarily using Dorman parts for our OE. Like they're using the the Dorman oil cooler we were just talking about yeah. at the at the dealer I know, you know. And so that a that says a lot, but but. The fact y'all have weathered it better. Why do you think Dorman weathered that that shortage storm better than the than the dealers have? Well, I'm I'm obviously biased. I I feel like that the whole innovation or the whole that whole culture mindset. This is probably going to get bashed later on. <laughs> but um, but it, it it doesn't just end in product management. It's in supply chain. So we literally overbought. So you look at our our typical forecast. You look in like three month buckets with your safety stock so we right. uh, leadership basically gave the approval to make the investment to buy three or four times realizing what was going on so i think that's really right. helped us but even because of that we we've had issues because it was hard for us to anticipate the amount of dealer shortages there were right. parts that we never had supply issues on that just poof because the dealer and everyone else are just, are just you know buying buying those parts because we're the only ones that have them so that's that, that's caused uh, other issues too, because now our whole demand planning system has to kind of redigest it and then spit out new numbers. So what we thought we were purchasing excess of right. is really probably just in line now with the uh, increased demand. Well, you know, it's interesting. We were talking to somebody the other day about an event, and they said that they had this algorithm to help them plan for the food, right? And they had it nailed down to this science. And they said after COVID, that science is no longer accurate. It doesn't work anymore. It like, you know, something that used to be within one or two points is now like way off. And it changed the whole dynamic and people were acting completely differently. And I don't think, you know, we've given much thought to that as a society that that people have changed their behavior based upon what's happened over the last two years. COVID screwed everything up. You know, you're seeing posts of people buying parts from the dealer. 
Combined they're Bart, coming door. They show up dormant box, and then he's like, what the crap is this? Yeah, <laughs> I'm paying the original <laughs> dealer price. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> they're fine. And that's they bill out the OE number, and the dormant box shows up. What <laughs> the hell do I do with this? I, I would much yeah, rather just it buy it from dormant. Yeah, I just I get it. a warranty, yeah. you know? The dealer won't warranty their parts. <laughs> no, they won't. <laughs> that's insane, right? The, the other two interesting things, though, that I don't think are ever going to change, or one of them could, is the the what looks to me is the individual or consumer's um, willingness to repair their vehicles and hold on to them now with the yeah. scarcity and cost. So I yeah. think that's helping everybody in the automotive aftermarket. And then that significant rise in DIY, I think people learned how to work on their cars more. And even though they're all back to work, they're, right. they, they, they've learned a new skill set while they're away where our, our DIY sales are higher than they've ever been. Really? Yeah. That's pretty interesting. Well, and I, you know, I know that. Oh, that sounds unfortunate. I mean, it's good for you guys, but I don't know that I want more people working on their own. Well, it goes back to what we were talking about earlier. Is is have you seen your warranty rates go up? Um, I, I'd have to double check and get back with that one. What, what I will tell you with the di with the di with our DIY formula is two things. It is it is sometimes a little bit of a challenge to tell through some customers. What is and then the other one is we do we really do have a lot of heavy DIY high turn like uh, drain plugs and gaskets wheel yeah. hardware yeah. things like that lug nuts right. so I bet you that's the majority of it it's kind right of, yeah because I mean here's the thing we were talking about this earlier is that that more and more it's becoming difficult to work on your own car right and eventually we'll see access restrictions not necessarily by an organization like a government organization or the dealer locking them out, it's going to eventually be that that, that access to that car requires this, 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 and this. And, you know, one of the things we talked about is, is I'm building a new shop. So the electricians, right, they have to be licensed. They have to be insured. They have to be all these things. Congratulations, by the way. Oh, thank you. And, and pity so him. it's a terrible thing. Just pity him. Every, I'm sorry. Every time I say something to <clears throat> Seth, Seth's like, I, I mine was done in three months. I'm gonna I'm gonna build three shops. So the, the, one. <laughs> the lesson is to not be your own general contractor. I I don't even know that that's the lesson. Was that what, I, what were you gonna say? Like a hundred thousand doing it that way? I saved way more than that. More than a hundred thousand? Yeah. Being your yeah. own GC. But but then I, do it. I don't know. Then we went to all these shows and we did all these things and I wasn't there the whole time and then. You know, all the other little pieces of that yeah. play into the puzzle. And, and you know, I, I really saw how through that process, I saw how this, how the pandemic changed things in a bigger way than what we realized. Right. Because like people's mentality changed. The people who were working for the original guy putting the building up, like their mentality changed. And, and, you know, um, I want to be careful how I'm going to say what I'm going to say. The ethic background of the people who were doing the work, there was a difference in how they perceived what had happened from how the other people perceived what had happened. Like this That said, made no sense. What are you talking about? Okay. The first group of guys, Mr. Tonal Privilege, the first group of guys were white men, and they really showed that they expected way more and they wanted way more money and they needed way more of this and they needed to be coddled. They needed to be taken care of in a different way. He doesn't than, want to say it. He already, he hired a bunch of Mexicans. 
And they came in and knocked that sucker out yeah. in a day I mean, and a half. And, and they, they are always known as great workers, and they always do really good work. I, I don't disagree you, with you that. Don't need, you don't need to just go ahead and keep talking. <laughs> you got this one sketchy you territory know, there. You know he's Let's you know not he's, You know he's Hispanic, right? Am I? I? I did not, but now I do know that. What's that? Yeah. He, he's like wider than I am, and he's 100% Hispanic. And really quick, going back to the DIY thing, what I, what I noticed, <laughs> this is just my... No, but seriously. Yeah. <clears throat> so I, I don't think it's a threat to shops, and here's why. Okay. I think it's people that weren't going to take it somewhere to get it fixed for whatever particular reason. Sure. Right. And now that they're just driven to, to, to working on vehicles, um, because I, I just feel like... And again, not all of them. I, I just think a large portion, again, because of what, what happened with COVID... Yeah. Um, wanting to work on the vehicle. So I don't think it's necessarily taking away. I feel like at the same time, the commercial side is thriving too. Yeah. And I talked to all the shops that we're close to in our area. We just had a training event at Dorman on Wednesday and they've been busier than ever. So I feel like yeah. it's been great. Well, and, and here's the thing is that many of those clients we're not, and that that's not our clientele. That's not who we're looking eh, for. Some of them are. I think the bigger issue is the, the service level at the stores is where it suffers the most. Yeah. Not necessarily that they're taking sales away. It's like, hey, I was going to install or install that exhaust manifold for that guy, but now he did it and stuff. Like, uh, it's more they they focus all their resources into front counter. There's a higher margin front counter, and there's more volume and for most of these parts stores, and so they're going to funnel their people into the front counter and and who the 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 side of the business that suffers is the commercial side of the business, the the do it for me side of the business. They don't have enough drivers. They don't have enough people to answer the phones, and there's really no incentive for them. It's like, okay, I'm gonna work twice as hard for less margin, or we just sell more DIY. And so, like O'Reilly was always trying to keep it fifty fifty. It was a big deal if there was a shift, and all of a sudden that's sort of seventy thirty. They would try to figure out what's going on there. But, I mean, most of the parts stores are 90-plus DIY, and it becomes an afterthought. And so, yeah, they have the part in stock. I just ran into this with Juan. He was telling me. He's like, it was a, it was something really stupid. I think it was a lug nut or something like that. My, my apprentice had broken a stud doing the, right, checking the torque on the lug nuts. And we just need the part. Like, you don't have anybody you can pull off the counter and send it to me? We're spending thousands of dollars a month. Can you just help me out here? No, I don't have anybody. The guy ended up taking it on his way home. So we waited like another 45 minutes or whatever for the part. But the, the service level is not there. And it, I'm, I'm telling you right now, they're, they're funneling all their money into retail. It may not be good for the long haul, but I don't know. So what what does that do to a store's numbers profit-wise? You've been in that side. What does that look like profit-wise when they do that? Well, you don't like a good store doesn't do that and at all i mean it should be it should be 50 50 but you got to be really careful with your profit margins because if you do if you do pump up one side of the business and it, depending on the the personality of the store you'll have some managers that are better at retail than they are commercial they prefer the retail customer to the commercial customer and so they'll they'll shift their focus on there but you'll see the numbers skew it is more profitable to do DIY, though. It's, it's a higher margin. Wait, right. So what I was thinking, though, 
it's just the way you explained it. Would you would you say then it's more profitable but you have to work harder for it versus having a book of business or make being more fifty fifty? Where it's commercial So it's it's lower there are fewer individual transactions on the commercial side. But when you think about it, like I still have to answer the phone, look up the part, give the quote out, pull the parts. I got to drive the part out there. So, you know, whatever the round trip is, 30 minute, 45 minute round trip to come back and then do, do it all over again versus that person just walking in. They take the part and they walk out the door, even though my ticket is going to be a third of the price. Like it'll be a $30 ticket as opposed to a, an average $120 ticket. It's much easier, quicker fewer resources you do need to physically have more people but those people can be lower skill they don't need to be uh as skilled as a commercial person drivers you could say yeah but there's nobody wants to be a driver Uh, and and that's what we ran into is they they hired a new driver and so she was going back and pulling parts and she was just reading the the last four numbers and just pulling parts off the shelf not realizing that the first number that's an issue we used to do we used to issue an alphanumeric test like that was a that was a prerequisite to come to work for the parts store. Like you had to pass at an eighty percent. That was eighty or eighty four percent. And if they couldn't pass at eighty eighty four percent, you just couldn't hire them. Like they could not physically read the the alphanumeric numbers quick enough to be able to be uh, efficient enough to pull the parts accurately. And oh man, I'm telling you, fifty percent of people failed. Uh, and and here's the thing: is the big problem is is that when you're in a shop and you're needing to move. Right. Like typically, for the most part, I've got everything planned out. I know I've got everything I need. But man, like I've got a car apart and I need that one part. If you mess it up three times in a row, you have really cost me a lot of money. Right. And so like the the car I called you about time after time again was one problem right after another week after week after week was one problem after another. And it, I mean, it was literally at one point they sent the part. It was the wrong part in the right box. So we said, hey, send the right one. They sent the wrong box four additional times <laughs> before they sent us the right box. And I'm like, so after the first one, you would think that somebody would walk back there, pick it up, make sure you got the right box. Hey, does this part look the right? And the car's apart. And I'm like, look, you cost me $5,000. That bay turns $5,000 every two days, Right. And I've had this car sitting in here for two days while you're fumbling trying to find me the right part. That cost me money. That cost the tech, right? Cost everybody. What are you guys going to do with, because um, you're saying like, yeah, we ordered extra, but now like that extra isn't extra anymore because demand is meeting our extra supply. Did you ever hear about that story? The N95 mask producer in, and uh, I can't cut that out. You know that, right? I cannot cut that. I do it just for you. <sighs> hey, where's the mints at? Hand me the mint. I know, right? <laughs> the, did you hear about the guy in Texas? The, this was at the very beginning of the pandemic. The guy, like his his company, makes N95 masks, and there was a shortage. Everybody was running out of N95 masks, I and he this. came out and he goes, "I'm not ramping up production." And they're like, he got dragged in the media. They're like, "Oh, he's he's being evil," and like, and he said, "Look." When what was it the H one N one? Yeah, was it H one N one? Yeah, swine. Is that the swine? Yeah, I believe it's two thousand nine. Yeah, so two thousand nine hits this. We get this pandemic right, and the the federal government had come in and they had pre ordered millions of dollars of these masks, 
And so he he bought extra factory space. He hired all these workers, bought a bunch yeah. of material, and he starts pumping out these masks. And then they just canceled all the orders on them. And they said, no, we don't need them anymore. The pandemic wasn't as serious as we thought it was going to be. And he was stuck. And so, like, he's trying to... There was a there was another piece that came out trying to explain his side of the story, but he's like walking through this empty warehouse and he's like, Yeah, that's all our extra infrastructure, all our extra equipment, all our extra material. He's like, I'm not doing it. I was like, yeah, I already been burned once. But it but at what point so I get that. And I guess if they asked him again before he knew it was real, I'd understand. But at this point, I mean now we're kind of off of it. Right. When you knew that there was no real end in sight. And we needed to get them at that point. You know, why would you? It to me that almost sounds like you know crying over spilt milk. Like he was burned before. Yeah, right. And he found out why. But now, I mean, to me, I don't know. I, I'm I'm not an expert, but it was pretty clear at some point in time. I don't know when the article came out. I actually don't don't remember reading it. Um, I'll have to look it up. That was that was the really early because, on. I mean, like there were people you would go everywhere looking for masks yeah. and. Yeah. And everything. And Hand sanitizer. And, and and it, wasn't it weird the things that weren't available? Like toilet paper and paper uh, towels and like just random stuff. I don't Clorox know. wipes. Yeah, dude. Hey, you couldn't find. And we use those to clean the client cars before they go out. And we were doing it before the pandemic. And so now like they disappear and you're like, well, this sucks. Like we got to change everything. You got to come up with something different, you know? So you, you guys aren't going to run into that issue? It's, I mean, what what I can tell you now is the way that we're purchasing, um, looking at it, knowing that there's 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 no end in sight to the ability to forecast pre-pandemic. Right. We're intentionally still on a lot of categories, you know, bu- buying surplus with that in mind. Yeah. Um, you know, that the additional inventory to help us out at some point in time at different lines as that as our as our demand planning system sees that we have enough, it'll it'll then scale everything back because you don't want to get caught in that situation, right, especially yeah. with uh, we have over ninety thousand exclusive SKUs. So it's, right, uh, end up with a pile of stuff you can't do anything with. Yeah. Well, I mean, you you still have other parts of the world like trying to shut back down when COVID started spreading again. Down, like what do you what do you do with that? I mean, it makes sense what you're doing, and yeah, that guy probably should have scaled up. <laughs> It was probably he, he, a, a horrible miscalculation on his part. He's standing but with I can egg understand. on his face now. What's that? He's sitting there with egg on his face Yeah, now. but I, 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 I 100% yeah. sympathize with that guy. Like I would have been the exact same way, super salty about the flipping federal government <laughs> canceling all their orders. You, he, you, he, he said he almost went out of business. Like He was on the verge of bankruptcy. And it was like days away from shutting the business down. This business had been there for years and years and years that he built it from nothing. And he's like, all over this, over this, them just arbitrarily just shutting us down. And it really, if the government had just gone through and bought what they had promised to buy, what they had ordered, there would have been a surplus for 10 years later. <laughs> well, you know, uh, interestingly enough, it, there's a, a older gentleman who used to come to the shop. He's dead now. But he made a device that made flagpoles and it would make decorative flagpoles and they were tasked with selling all the flagpoles to the state of North Carolina. And and so he went and he did something very similar. He scaled up. He got ready to manufacture all this stuff and they'd been doing it for years and they were buying a certain volume and then all of a sudden one day they were just, that's it. We're done. And it wasn't even enough to to recomp what he had 
dropped in the equipment and the stock he had bought and, and everything just changed overnight, right? And so what he ended up doing was he started building the machines. He figured out the machine. He understood it. It was a custom machine when they built it. So they started building and selling these machines, and they figured out they could do all kinds of other things. And, you know, they would take the flagpole, and they would make it, like, multidimensional, so it would have, like, leaf shapes all the way around the round part of the flagpole and and made a really cool device and ended up selling the patent but sold uh, multi-million dollars worth of machines year after year after year, you know. And turn lemon into lemonades. And the area lemonades. Room. Yeah, the cookies, man. You don't want to. You don't. That's listen. my wife's favorite, dude. You Girl's don't. Name. You don't want like actual lemonade stuff's bad for your teeth. You don't need bad stuff for your teeth, man. But but um, <laughs> going back to David's question, I guess the difference between to me, I feel like the N95 is something that eventually that mask, you know, it it the demand's going to completely go away. Um, same situation where like flagpole discretionary where we're lucky that we're building parts that are for vehicles that typically are a b or c movers there's some there's some other lines you know and that's where we're that's the parts we're focusing on the kind of the end of the line mature categories the wheel cylinder for the 1970 truck yeah we're going to have that but we're not going to focus on bringing in so the good thing is even if we bring in the excess we have a pretty good line of sight that we're going to we're not going to be in a situation like like yeah. a gentleman in Texas, which does, you're right. I mean, I, I empathize with him too. I mean, having to go through that. Have so. you noticed any specific SKUs that have just gone out or any categories that have blown out of the water since this has all happened? Anything that's changed as far as that? hundred percent. Anything that's stick. Cause we've, we've had a lot of, a lot of fast followers in the year. So there's other player, uh, players playing in the space. So anywhere we're truly OE exclusive on a B movers, it, it's hard to keep up. Cause again, the OEs, um, you know, are, are running out of those parts like uh, um, turbo uh, turbo coolant lines or uh, turbo lines for the um, 60 Fords. Right. Um, for the, uh, I'm sorry, for the um, air so, intake hoses and everything right. else. So those, you know, they're added. So for us, th- those are the ones we're focusing on from a, okay. from a supply chain standpoint. That, I think it's, that's a pretty interesting point because we, we pretty much use you guys exclusively for that because you can't get those parts in the aftermarket right now. Intake hoses, stuff like that. I mean, they're just nowhere. And you guys actually do a really good job on that. I shouldn't say actually like it, <laughs> but you know what I'm saying? Like it, it, it's a really good product. It, it fits. It's a good quality. We don't have any issues out of them. It's awesome. David's <laughs> laughing over there. He has, he has a comment to make. No, 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 no. I'm good. I'm good. We, we do a lot of air intakes. Keep talking about how great those air intakes hey, are. Hey, I, I, I'm just saying that <laughs> they're I. They're rubbery. They're squishy. They got are. plastic on them. I've, be- hey, I've had better luck with their air intakes than I have dealer air intakes. We got you one. You can't get dealer and air intakes. Like, you have, like, the those stupid Hondas. You do an air filter check, the, the boot splits every time. Hey, well, that's the what dealer I was doesn't ready. have them in stock. That's what I was getting ready to say. The last one I got from Honda that was OE was split when it came in. <laughs> <laughs> it was sitting on the shelf for a while. Probably so. But my point is, is that, and I don't know how as, as popular as they are, they all rip. But I'm just saying, like, I've not had that issue with them. I have a question for long. you guys because it's, uh, it's come up a lot with our customers. What are you all doing for Tesla parts? Um, right now, I don't should make Tesla parts and then have Seth put them on his vehicles. Uh, I know he would totally be down for that. 
He wouldn't. I, I, I spoke to what? Seth. What? What are you talking about? Not Seth. He's totally down for that. I'm a fault. He was very professional about it, but he did stop by and, and let me know how he felt. But he did say he would help us with feedback. So. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I'm sure he'll give you the feedback you're looking for. Jesus. So the, so, so, so the reason why I'm asking yeah. is it's all over the place. We, we have local shops that have come to me that have had lifelong customers that have now ventured yeah. off and purchased a Tesla. He had his first experience where the customer needed a – it was a Model S uh, upper control arm. Um, no availability from his aftermarket supplier. I don't know if Whirlpack had it at the time yet, but he couldn't, he couldn't get it. So they called. They found out where the Tesla Depot was in our area. Um, and they said, we can't sell you the part. We can only sell it to the vehicle owner that has the right now. Seth informed me that was completely wrong. You can can do that. So I'm assuming it could be based on maybe, you know, with, with that guy was working on Tesla's, he should have known that. Well, I don't work on Tesla's. But but here's the thing. The people that are working on Tesla's, they're really quickly beginning to figure out. That this is not necessarily like working on EV. This is basic maintenance stuff. This is not, you're not working on HV batteries. You're, you're, you're doing basic maintenance on them, right? Brake job stuff like that. Yeah. And so I, I think the thing is, is that it is a, from what I've heard from multiple people, A, if you do it wrong, it ends up sending the consumer the invoice with the prices and everything else. So it leaves you no margin in it. They're, the yeah. consumer can see how much the part is. There's all kinds of things that, that folks don't like about it. And it takes a long time. Like it doesn't fit into our model of auto repair. Like they, they have access to it. If you call their tech, he has access to it right now. I can come out and I can put it on. Evidently from them directly, it does not work like that. It mm-hmm. takes days or weeks or, you know, it's a situation. Um, I noticed that Napa and a lot of other companies are beginning to put headers up on their, their pages. Like ProLink says across the top, we sell Tesla parts, and it's got this whole list of SKUs on it that you can click on and see the pictures. What parts are they selling? I have no idea. I didn't look. So they have right now I, I, um, control arms, some tie rod ends. Who's making these parts? Sway bar links. Uh, so we actually have some of the uh, suspension as well as some of the other players, I believe, uh, Mevatech and maybe even Moog has, has the suspension parts. So to your point earlier, the shop I was talking about, David, had no – tesla experience or it wasn't a tesla shop yeah. they wanted to the vehicle came in they said look we'll look at it if it's nothing to do with the system because we're not trained on when we'll do it and, that, and that's what happened it wound up being an arm so he just went online and googled tesla parts and that's when he found out oh, again, again yeah. probably because the whatever depot he called um because how tesla set up they have kind of those areas right that I guess yeah sublet yeah, yeah. or lease out for it's not like an actual parts store dealership yeah. so that was, it's it's just it's just peculiar to me and how you hear different different things from different people with like we, we put something up in our private forum and pretty much everybody that was a mechanical repair shop, their perception was that Tesla would not sell them apart. The only people that did come back and say they could get it was if they were a certified or approved uh, collision center. Right. Then they were allowed to purchase the parts. But I am learning that, that doesn't seem to be the case. They have like a, their own. Well, you uh, just label yourself a collision. Like that's all you just, that's what I am. Go. Is that. They don't care. Is that yeah, they don't, correct? No, but they, it's, uh, it's just, no. I don't but think they you ever. You think anything with this dude's <laughs> ethically correct? Come on, man. What? 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 I, don't, I don't think they ever made the provision. I don't think they, 
This is a, a company that's learning on the fly. They're just making this up as they go along. And so they never thought about, hey, what are we going to do with these 10-year-old cars that need this junk fixed? Like, what do we do? Uh Let's figure it out. Well, they wanted That's to, what they're doing. They wanted to reinvent the wheel, right? Like that was his idea. He was going to reinvent the wheel. And and if I've learned anything about wheels, I don't ever want to try and reinvent one. I tried that with my shop, and it went horribly. Did you try? You didn't try to reinvent anything. What were you trying to reinvent? I tried to do it all my way when I started out. My way was horrible. So oh, no. so it's interesting now that you mentioned that because I thought. Right. So do you think Tesla? through changes or, or brainstorming, we'll try to go to a more traditional dealership network. Eventually? No chance. They've been, they, they got sued and fought it. I, I don't know. I, I think that the release of toolbox and some of the changes you've seen recently kind of make it seem like, uh, hold up. We better rethink some of this because they don't have the infrastructure to do it. Right. They don't have the infrastructure to maintain the car. I think he thought that, Hey, by the time that that car wears out, they'll be buying another car and there'll be this and this and this and they'll... I don't think he thought about it. I don't think, I think he was worried about how he was going to manufacture them at scale. I think that's all their focus has been. How do I get the Model 3 out for $30,000? Like they have to figure that out. That's a much, a much bigger problem than, hey, what do we do about this lower control arm that is going to wear out on our Model S? Who's going to make it? How are we going to get it out? So that Model 3, how is that not going to become a disposable car unless they do something about it? Right, exactly. Ba- I mean, that battery I heard is what, 1,100 pounds in the 3, or was it lighter? No, and, I think that one's 1,100 pounds. And around, I think it is a disposable car. <laughs> around $19,000? I mean, you get the year, and you 10 years, right? So you get your 10 years, you need a battery. Yeah, $19,000 to replace, or you can get another one for thirty. So where, where, what, what are they going to do with all those batteries? The, oh, he, oh yeah. uh, he's talked about it. They recycle every bit of it. He says every bit of it gets recycled. He says. Why would he lie? Just doesn't want the stock to plummet. That, that's uh, a. <laughs> he needs I that mean, for Twitter money. I'm, I'm just saying, like, if you look into recycling those batteries, that's a lot of work. I mean, like, there, there's got to be money from somewhere to do it. There's got that. That's a yeah, but it, you would think he would he would invest in recycling the battery if it costs less than pulling the the precious metals out of the earth shipping it and making it fresh if it's cheaper to recycle the the deca people will tell you that the deca batteries are 100 percent recyclable and recycled they're all it's all it's all reused stuff everything but the handle it's the only thing that they don't they don't uh, make from recycled materials what, what do you say to that i don't i don't know enough about it but i feel like it would be tough from a lead acid battery or AGM is one thing, but I think you're talking know, about lithium, a eleven hundred pound lithium ion battery. You're going to stack them up on trucks and haul them off. Now, <laughs> now, to your point, it's in his best interest to figure out a system to do it right. Yeah, with the company, so I it wouldn't surprise me if they look at. It. What I did hear on the hybrid batteries is they is they sent them to third world countries to be actually used. For, because yeah, and then bring and use them for infrastructure and other stuff as well. Right, yeah, because because there's not enough power to power a vehicle, which is which is pretty cool. Yeah, you know that is really cool. And I mean, it's not. I don't even think it's just third world countries. They'll use them in, in infrastructure good, here good and stuff. Right. You know, you you can use it for. for he, he has. They have no motivation to make the vehicle viable after a certain time. Like, what's the point? Who cares? Well, I mean, you know, we had that talk where um, where somebody mentioned that a Chrysler engineer said that. Like, hey, we're we're not interested in making the the vehicle repairable after warranty period. That's not what we're in the business of doing. Yeah, 
you know? Uh, I. So what do you do? I don't, the, the, the perception that Teslas are junk is only amongst specific technicians that have worked on them. The ones that have worked on them have said they're pot flaming piles. Everybody else in the whole wide world thinks that they are the coolest cars. And so, like, what do you do? Like, they, you own the car for five years. Now it needs a battery or whatever. Or you need just the control arm, apparently. You can't get the part. So the car is now a throwaway car. So you turn around and get another one. Like, and you know, it doesn't devalue like what, what Volvo said to you. We need people cannot perceive our vehicles to be difficult to work on. Otherwise they won't buy the car. If nobody wants to work on our, our vehicles, we're not going to sell as many as we could. People have to have that perception. I think like some of these manufacturers, some of these OEs, Toyotas, Hondas, they, they go, we need to maintain that reputation that the vehicle's long lasting. Yeah. It's okay to people that are sold rolling around their 92 Camry, their tanks. We, we sell more cars because that guy never got rid of his 92 Camry. I don't, I don't know for Tesla is like, you want the bright and new. It's like iPhones. Like, I don't think anybody cares. You have an iPhone. I don't think anybody cares that after a year, that battery is not going to last as long as it did when it was brand new. And they intentionally designed that into it. Just like, okay, yeah, but in a year, I'm going to want the new one. The, the difference is, though, I've never really, at least before in the past, no one's looked at a car that way. Like yeah. a phone yeah. or a computer, yeah, but a car is done. And I'm interested, you made the comment about Volvo. I, I, don't, I don't think the average consumer cares if a vehicle is easy to work on. So, I mean, um, unless they're... The, 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 the problem is they go to shop after shop after shop and, and they're like, they cannot them. find anybody to work on them because yeah. they're like, oh, that's a Volvo, I don't touch them. It's like, well, what do you mean? They can't get the tool to work on it. Yeah. Like if, if, if every shop they go to and the only option is I got to drive two hours to the dealership, it's like, well, I'm not going to buy a Volvo again. Screw that noise. I'm just going to buy something that somebody local will work on. We, we saw that with sprinters, right? We saw that with a bunch of sprinters where there was a situation where the, the, uh, HVAC company had a fleet of sprinters and they kept going down and he's like look man he's like it's a 400 plus dollar tow bill with a medium duty vehicle all the way to Winston Salem and then they tow it down there and now it's a thousand bucks just to unlock it because somebody forgot to put death fluid in it and then I got to have a guy take off a day of work and go down there and he's like look that that's not the bad part I can live with that what I can't live with is it's been five vehicles in the past five months and all of them have had these issues. And he said, I'm not saying it's not our fault. He said, I'm just saying that that vehicle makes me $15,000 a week. And if, if you figure each one's been down for a week in the past five months, count that up. That's a lot of money. I, you know, I mean, you think of it from that standpoint. And it, all and of a sudden. he's buying a come, Ford next time. Yeah. Because he wants more problems. <laughs> um, you know, I, I don't know. I, Anybody make a good van anymore? I don't know. I hear uh, Grand Caravans and Windstars. Are- no, no, not minivans. Like a big van. How's the uh, the, the uh, NV, the Nissan NV? Uh, see, those are pretty tanky from what yeah. I can tell. Yeah. Doesn't, they, Bra- doesn't Brandon Dills have one? Uh, he has a Frontier. I think he, somebody else, maybe it was Matthew Scundrich has got a. A Nissan NV 2500 or whatever. Yeah. We we purchased a 17 um, 2500 Promaster with the 3.6. Yeah. Um, set for for demos, um, seventy seventy thousand miles. It's been it's been decent, 
But, yeah, but it's like. But, but we don't use it like a typical work truck. Yeah, right. right. It's a 3.6, so it's going to have 3.6 problems, and it's going to need to tip them. And so. <laughs> lifters are going to be flying out. Well, it's a 3.6, yeah. So it's time to chain lifters, hit gaskets. There's <laughs> all the noise around the, uh, the active fuel management and GMs. They're going down left and right. Yeah, dude. Hey, I've, I've got one at the shop. More shelf. so than before? That's been a problem since the 09. No, no, but it seems like in the yeah, last. Yeah, something like, happened. It seems like it's gotten like. It, it, like what years? increased. Um, like the, I'm gonna like keep the word, like 2014, 15, yeah. 16. Really? Yeah, I've got one at the shop right now, and they said, "Hey, they went to GM, and GM said if you want a motor from us, even if you wanted to take this apart and try and rebuild it, you're looking at 18 months on parts to be able to put this back together." <gasps> what? Yeah, yeah, and and I see we're running this everywhere, like calling the dealer for engines or transmissions or anything. Transport like doesn't have them. With deletes, I'm, dude. I've been waiting on Jasper for two months for a engine for a Jeep. I mean, it, it's not five seven, is it? I need one of those. I think they're in the same situation we are a little bit. <laughs> yeah, and that the dealers ran out, so people are going more to them. So they they're they're oh they're getting hit up really I hard. Would, I, I would think so. Yeah, I mean it's crazy. It really is crazy, and I I don't know. I don't think I don't think any of the gigantic corporations I, like i can buy your on our side right these other corporations i don't bother our side i think they're too big to be on our side so you guys are going to start making tesla parts or you guys are making tesla Ooh. parts and you're getting into more so the what it, it, it's interesting so you you see how all of our customers it's you know you look at like wall street and the big pushes are you ready for the next and the the answer that i always have is we're going to continue to make failure prone parts someone asked me yeah continue yeah. to make failure prone parts so on these Teslas, you know, I was talking to Seth earlier, you, you look at it and you're always going to have the basic things, uh, you know, brakes, tires, suspension. The the exception or the outlier in these systems are these humongous coolant systems for the batteries. Yeah. So you're looking at some of the valves. So I, I would say as we find ones that meet our criteria where it's not a full line, but they're failure prone, we want to make sure we have it for the shops that are working on. That's what, cool. What about the door latch kits everybody keeps talking about? We're, we're so finally Seth developing. makes his own. Right. So Did you know that? Seth makes his own? Yeah. Because of early on, like the early, there weren't a lot of VIO. We, we did hear and know about that. We actually saw Seth's repair. Um, and so I, I think now at this point, we're, we're, we're going to focus on do, doing our own version of that. So as well. That's cool. Window regulators is another one that we have in development right. as well too. That's pretty neat for those because again so it, it's going to make working on tesla's way more accessible if assuming the vendors are going to actually carry the the lines are you guys pushing yeah. them and going hey they're actually three hundred thousand teslas in your area you should probably it, carry these lines it's, it's a unique phenomenon especially in the areas like you would see where they're heavily populated california chicago um Minneapolis, minnesota for whatever reason from yeah Seth, yeah Seth told me like um that they're uh, they're open to definitely carrying those parts. So I believe when we do come out, the ABs and Cs, they're going to push them out, the yeah. As, into into their you know distribution. You know, just a few years ago, I remember there was one person in town who had a Tesla, and now I'm starting to see them more. Like they're, we're, they're everywhere now. Yeah, yeah I mean me. more, and like more, and more and more. And and you know we're not we've not set ourselves up. We've not prepared to work on them in a big way right now. But I think that that's something to think about. Is like. You know, for instance, when we move, we're putting charging capabilities all over the shop, right? There's nowhere in the shop you couldn't charge a, an EV if you wanted to, right? With the plug-in charger, 15 amps. Just plug it into the wall. It's one. 
<laughs> Take three days. <laughs> yeah. Well, and, 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 you know, listen, David was his own electrician. So all of those no, connections, no, no, they no. were super fact, loose. I just got my bill. We, we put an extra lighting at the shop, fixed some lights that had gone out and, and put some extra lighting for the, for the photographer to come out. And he's, he just sent me the book. He gets so mad. He's like, you never pay me the day of. It's like, dude, it takes you two months to get me the bill. It took him two months again to get me the bill. <laughs> Sounds like a lot of shops out there. Michael What's Gunther. That? Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, he did. he's so behind. He's electri- like a legit electrician. You know what he does? What? He hires randos. Makes them 1099 employees. Really? As long as they're certified, yeah. That's crazy. I mean, you know. Tommy's going to get I, killed one of these days. The freaking state of Kansas is going to find out. I see a, I see a lot of, of uh, electricians and plumbers and folks like that. Like when they came to pour the floor, they would pull two crews together. And, and hey, it's a big floor. We're going to get some guys from over here, guys from over there. The electricians, when they came in, hey, we're going to line up all these people together with us. We're going to, you know, so we can knock this out. We can get it done pretty quick. And so that that is pretty common. It's interesting because obviously we can't do that in our industry, but. Watching them do it. Go drive drive down to AutoZone. Wait for the guys that are standing up front. <laughs> Jump into the back of the truck, guys. I got a couple Tesla control arms to do. <laughs> you think we'll ever get to that point? I hope not. I bet you that's a thing somewhere. I, it probably I'm guessing is. California. Where are you from? Philadelphia. Did you live in California? No. Good. I can trash on them. So I'm guessing it's it's a California thing. <laughs> I, it, it's possible. It's possible. We I didn't see in San Diego. Um, to uh, Josh earlier. He's from California. With, uh, oh, we should, have, we should have said something bad about California then. I, I think we... I, I don't think we've ever got done an episode without poking fun at California. Poor California. Uh, San Diego was really nice. Beautiful weather. The rest of it's trash. <laughs> you were is it jealousy do you think what you're jealous of california what's that it's really it's so beautiful there it is it's so beautiful there it's just i can't stand anything else <laughs> i hey so we okay we we go and i told the, him, even the people like like we have certain shop owners all come in california it's like oh no like like hey i agree with you politically so okay, great you think you do, but you don't. You have no idea, dude. You're not walking down the street with strapped with a couple guns on your hip and like that's normal where we are. Like that's a thing. It's like, oh, I can't own a gun. I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> I, I, I'm gonna I'm gonna walk away from that topic just a little <laughs> bit. <laughs> I'm just saying that they have no concept of what it's like. I mean, so, obviously not all of them. I'm just speaking generalities here and uh, trying to offend everybody. But like, they have no concept of what it's like to live outside of their bubble. It's like this bubble. Like they think the rest of the world's like they are, and no idea. My brother-in-law, ex-marine, he's a badass too. Like he's a little skinny guy. He's shorter, a little shorter than me. Skinny, like skinny. Man, that sucker will tackle you and pin you down. <laughs> I, I'm easily double his weight. Like I should be flinging this guy around, but man, he is—he's bony, so he digs his elbow in. You're like, ah, what the crap? And then you're on your back. Anyway, uh, <laughs> he, he comes the, to these events and he's hobbled over. Now I know why. My, my back, yeah, I threw my back. I throw my back. I like left and right. Anyway, so um, he like 
he's an ex-marine so he's he's a gun nut he loves guns and he knows them and he's like he's he's all about them. if anybody's going to be allowed to have one it's an ex-marine you know um but he's like i oh no i have to i have to get an approval from the state and the county and the city before i can own one i'm like what what are you talking about he's like yeah you don't have to do that here it's like no dude i just go to the local academy sports and grab one and then walk out five minutes i've got one or ten however many i want he's like what like yeah that's what you do here like I, i i don't know i think when you're in a I think when you're in a big city, it's a little bit different. Like from listen from the south, like you got the gun to defend yourself against people. No, against whatever. From city people, (laughs) they come into town. Like uh, I look like city folk over there. (laughs) Oh God! Um, (laughs) He lives on top of a mountain. I'm I'm literally in the woods. Right, and there are things in the woods that you don't want to play with, right? I mean, that's just part of being in the woods. And and if city folk get lost in the woods, they become feral. If city folk get lost in the woods, <laughs> they become bear food. <laughs> <laughs> Do you have a lot of bears? Yeah, we got bears, and we got like bobcats. black bears. Yeah, uh, bobcats. Mm-hmm. We talked about the bobcat already. I can fight that bobcat off. Don't you worry about the bobcat. The bear, though. I showed you the wait, video earlier. Wait a minute, you're. You can't fend off your skinny brother-in-law. You can get a bobcat. <laughs> I'm just... just <laughs> I had to. I had to. He can't fend off a laugh attack. He's going to have a heart attack here in a second. He's turning bright red. <laughs> I've never been so called out in my entire life. You'd fight no bobcat, dude. You can't take down your skinny brother-in-law. <laughs> it's just an observation. Pretty, pretty I feel so observation. <laughs> <laughs> I, I'm just glad Lester is a good sport and willing to tolerate our BS. Hey, I got to bring this up. California. So we, we're in California. We're in, uh, is it Coronado? Is that how you say it? Yeah. So Coronado Island. Yeah. So we're out here, right? And we're talking about the price of houses. And I'm like, look, this one's $14 million. And this one's $33 million. And this one's $5 million. There's nothing out here. They're shacks, by the way. Yeah, there's nothing below a million dollars, right? Three bedroom, one bath. Yeah. Dude, I get home and I open Zillow. And I didn't mean to. Like, I land and I drive home. And, I'm, you you know, you push the button on your phone and it opens all the apps. And there's Zillow. And I'm, I'm sitting on the bed one night and I'm like, huh, I must still be in California. So I hit the refresh button. Nah. Houses in my town are the same price. <laughs> I, it's everywhere. If you wanted to buy a house today, you would be in bad shape. Dude, man. I will take you to some parts of Kansas City. You can buy a house for $20,000. Don't you worry. I don't know that you want to, but... I'm just saying, like, a house you would want to live in is very expensive right now. I mean... So how do you feel very. about the Sixers? Uh, tough loss, you know? Was- Were you happy with Harden coming on board? I don't follow him as as much. I feel like he's a good player. Because they're a trash team. That's all. <laughs> I, I feel like he's a good player. I don't feel like he's for for what he's paid. I felt like he was going to bring the team up more. And, uh, yeah, he's a then. he throws fits. That's what he does. He was are, pouting. Are, I've got to ask. You're the one. And Embiid called him out. He's like, yeah, that's not. 
He's just not that kind of player anymore. What do you do with that team? Like you're gonna have to trade him. You're gonna you can't keep him on that team after he got called out. I'm just curious. Like since you're the one bringing up Dorman's team, are they paying you like they're paying him? <laughs> I was gonna say I might need a job at Dorman. Um, do you need a job at Dorman? You got enough on your plate. If they're gonna pay me like they pay him. So you were talking about the housing market. Yeah. So- um, my wife and I were, de- were definitely looking, but it's not, so it's bad enough that houses we looked at pre pandemic that were say going for four fifty to renter price range yeah. are now at like five fifty six. That's bad enough. Then if they're nice or even what would you call nice now? Like move in ready. Yeah. They're going for minimum 80 to 90 grand over. Asking. Asking. And then there's all kinds of contingencies, meaning they don't want you to have a home contingency, cash. Where's all the money coming from? Yeah. Well, and it's it's crazy. Investment so firms, bro. My, BlackRock. My brother, um, he went and bought an RV, right? And a nice Class A RV. And so he said, I'm going to go buy an RV. I'm going to sell my house. Cool, whatever. Like he wanted to bring it and park it uh, like up above where the new shop's at. Oh, that's a good idea. Can and I so, do that? Yeah, sure. Come and, down. So he uh, he goes and buys this RV, right? And he puts his house on the market. As soon as he gets the RV, he's like, I just wanted a place to live. We're going to sell the house. We're going to decide to do something later. So he turned about $150,000 profit on this house in less than a year of owning it. Didn't do anything to it for the most part. And literally, just like that, it sold, went into a bidding war. and And initially, like, so... The home inspections, right? Well, we're going to oh, inspect gone. it, and, yeah, the, and the, the buyer is going to have it inspected. They're not going to buy it unless it meets all these things. And if there's anything wrong, nah, dude. They they were literally like, no, we don't want it inspected. Well, the bank needs it inspected. Great, we'll pay cash. Uh, it was crazy to watch them fight over this house. Yeah, and I mean, it just goes back and forth nonstop. And and the the one thing that I'll say is that commercial. So, for instance, we just sold. My dad sold. Um, four townhouse units that were like duplexes or, or yeah. And so he ended up selling them and going through the commercial lending process with someone else, the mess that they put them through to get approved for this thing and the inspections they wanted to do and paying off the bank, man, they have got some serious challenges to go through right now. Like I, I can't help but think that for it to be moving like it's moving, Whoever's buying all this stuff's got to have cash in pocket. It's a sweet, sweet Chinese money, bro. It's what we need to. So you're telling me Alltel bought all the houses? No, I'm saying that we need to show for the Chinese so we can get that sweet, sweet Chinese money. Hey, you could about sponsor the podcast. PPC. <laughs> I'm, not that gonna, I'm not even gonna. Did I hear Alltel is getting into charging systems for EVs? Yeah, they have one out already. Okay. Right? Don't they? All right. Do you guys have one? We do not. So and were you guys going to? Eh, it's not really our our forte. I was just uh You're gonna have some reverse engineer hotels, steal their see. design, <laughs> throw it up there. No no, no comment. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> he's just getting me back to the cougar <laughs> No, listen, trust me, no cougar's gonna attack this guy. It's definitely gonna oh, be a bobcat. That was mean. Or bobcat, you're right. No <laughs> <laughs> it's okay. I, I uh, yeah, 
<laughs> Jeez, man. No. Um, I, I don't know. I, I'm curious because one of the questions in the panel last night was something that Seth was was very – it was interesting. Seth muted himself a good bit from what he normally says like in our private conversations, which I'm pretty glad of. Um, but he muted himself a little bit, especially on the charging topic, because one of the things he was very vocal about was is a lot of people are being – Convinced they need to go out and buy a charge point charging station, or they need to go buy this special bar yeah, for five and six thousand dollars, right? Like, and I mean, they they gave me a price to put a, a charge point in, and it was something like forty six thousand dollars at my shop for the the newest charger they had, right? And so I'm talking to our local electrical co op, Blue Ridge Electric, and they're like, "Dude, we've got a bunch of charge point stations, and none of them work." Like, we can't get them to work. And then they come out and they say they're fixed and they don't work. And he's like, it, it, it's bad. He's like, lawsuit kind of bad. It, it, they don't work at all. And he said, I, I couldn't imagine buying one, but municipalities and all these places are buying them and putting them in and doing all this stuff. And so I was talking to Seth about it. And Seth's like, man, he's like, you don't, like, you just need to buy the freaking plug or put the thing on the wall, but don't go spend money on that. Like, you can charge the car without that. I'm, I'm I'm no expert on it, but I think if you have the proper service that runs it, what, isn't it just all a matter of the conduit and the plug? Yeah, exactly. Well, so it, here's what's interesting is that when when um, you see it come out, like these, everybody's talking EV, right? There's all these training classes on EV. Everybody's EV, EV, EV. What do the shop owners do? They go back and they say, hey, this is going to be a big thing. We need to do this. And they open the the NAPA catalog or the the whatever tool catalog, and there's this big charging thing, and it's 5000 oh, I need this. And they order it, right? But you don't see any of those safety hooks they were talking about to pull somebody away from it. You don't see the gloves to work on it. You don't see what's the purpose of having the charger in there if you don't have even the safety hook. No need for a safety hook. That guy's cooking. He's cooking. Should have worn the gloves, bro. I'm out. <laughs> the place yeah, we, burned down. We wouldn't want you to pull your back out. Um, <laughs> we wouldn't want you to pull your back I know, out. I'll get caught in the fire. Are you kidding me? So I won't what, make it out. So what David's telling us is don't go in a foxhole with him, basically. That's exactly <laughs> right. Absolutely. You know? <laughs> that is exactly right. Or a bobcat hole, either one. I mean. They live in holes? What are you no, talking they about? Don't, they don't live in holes. I'm just Trees? Kidding. Yeah, I, I guess they live in trees. Those things make the craziest sounds you've ever heard. And, like, you you just don't want to mess with one. I I mean, house cats are bad enough. You have house cats? No. I do. I, I'm telling you, like, you ever had one mad at you? Oh. I, I, do you enjoy your cats? It was a... One of them One of them over the years has grown on me. It was a purchase with my wife years ago. Their brother and sister. Um, one of them acts like a dog. The other one... Mm. Not so much. Yeah, see? People want dogs. Hey, listen. Deep down, they want a dog. I'm just saying, <laughs> cats are aggressive. <laughs> David, I don't want you to ever try and play with a bobcat. I'm just saying, you don't want to do that. I'll pass. All right. All right. Poor Lester. <laughs> I hope you enjoyed this episode of the ASOG podcast. Before I let you go, I need to ask you a question. Are you using the best innovative shop management system in the country? If you doubt that you are, why are you making your life harder? Shopware stays one step ahead of everyone else by bringing a clean, easy-to-use program unlike anything else on the market. Go to GetShopware.com and see what I mean today. That's GetShopware.com. Check it out. Thank you for listening to the Changing the Industry podcast. 
If you enjoyed the show, do us a favor and leave us a review on your favorite podcast player. And don't forget to set it to automatically download the latest episode. Our efforts with this podcast, the YouTube channel, and the Facebook group wouldn't be possible without the support of our awesome sponsors. So please take a moment, check them out by clicking on the links in the show notes.